Browns, Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty. Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 847. We're starting off with a kind of a good news story about the <coughs> duck stamp, officially known as the Migratory Bird Hunting and Conservation Stamp, sales of which have raised more than a billion dollars over the years to preserve wetland habitats and to do other things, including addressing the impacts of climate change. Well, back in 2020, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service changed the rules for their annual duck stamp design contest, adding a provision by which all design entries would have to include the phrase celebrating our waterfowl hunting heritage. Well, a lot of birders and non-hunters were not happy about that, and they said so, and kept saying so, and the Fish and Wildlife Service folks heard them. And so beginning with the 2022 contest, design entries will no longer have to include that phrase about hunting. The service says the change means artists will have more flexibility when designing their art, and it will broaden the appeal of the duck stamp to a more diverse audience. Thanks to our friend Dr. Jim Randolph down in Long Beach, Mississippi, for first alerting us to this story. And to Jim and everybody down there on the Gulf Coast, we wish you well. We're thinking of you as Hurricane Ida begins battering that area in Louisiana, Mississippi, down there on the Gulf Coast. Now some good news about backyard bird feeders and bird baths. Many states that were affected by the recent backyard bird illness and nearby states, too, are finally telling folks it's okay to put the feeders back up because it's thought that this is not an illness that's transmittable to other birds and because the illness has pretty much faded out. We haven't done a comprehensive review of this, but states where officials are giving the green light to put feeders back up include Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and all but one county in Indiana. If your state was one that proposed a feeder ban and you didn't hear it in this listing, uh, check with your local Fish and Wildlife Department or Audubon chapter would probably be a good idea. Some little birds in the news music there. It seems like, I don't know, once a year or so, we hear about a new bird species being discovered. But more often than not, what's really happening is that a bird is just reclassified as a separate species and no longer lumped in with another one. But now there's been a discovery of a whole new species, and it's one with kind of a cool name, the satin berry pecker. Ornithologists found the new species in a cloud forest of the Kumawa Mountains of western New Guinea, one of the last biologically underexplored regions of the world. It's a small songbird with iridescent blue-black upper plumage and satin-white underparts that show a trace of lemon yellow. 
So in an age when so many species are threatened with extinction, it is nice to hear of a new one that hadn't been known to exist. The satin berry pecker. I've gotten that satin doll. Well, could we do a little time warp thing for just a moment here? It's just a jump to the left. Yes, and a step to the right. So this is kind of a time warp message uh, about a note we received uh, through our website from Wang Xu, a listener in China, who sent in an answer to our mystery bird contest from a show in July of 2019, listening to the Talking Birds archive. Wang Xu said, based on my limited map knowledge, I'd say it's the Savannah Sparrow. Here in China, we don't associate sparrows with songbirds. They are mere LBJs little brown jobs. What a pity. Just discovered this bird treasure trove and will explore the archive for more. Well, thank you, Wang Shu. And your answer was correct. Wang Shu didn't leave us any contact info, so we weren't able to respond directly. But thanks for tuning in, Wang Shu, and we hope you enjoy exploring the Talking Birds archive some more. And that puts us in mind about the fact that we'll make another China connection soon to Beijing, to be specific, when Terry Townsend, a great American birder who's been living and birding in China for many years, will be our special guest in October. And that little sound, and that one too, is that of our mystery bird. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest that we'll do a little bit later on in the show this morning. Our mystery bird is a small songbird of open woodlands, farms, and parks. It has an unstreaked breast, a rufous or rust-colored crown, a whitish line above the eye, and a black stripe through the eye. Our bird, which forages on the ground for seeds and insects, breeds over most of the North American continent and winters in the southern U.S. and down into Mexico. Our mystery bird preview here. Beautiful prizes, including a $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books, home of one of the biggest selections of birding books in the world. And another Droll Yankees feeder. It's the cute chickadee feeder. Even lets you manage the size of visiting birds with its height-adjustable dome. And those are the prizes on our upcoming Mystery Bird Contest here this morning. Well, if you've listened to our show for a while, you know that Talking Birds is the home of Plurding. That's picking up litter while birding, plurting. And thanks to our Freya McGregor, plurting has reached Australia. She's teamed up with the Friends of Mary Creek back in her hometown of Melbourne, Australia, to encourage people to go plurting through a webinar, which will be live at 9 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time on Friday night, September 3rd. Uh, Please visit our website for details in case you might want to sign up for this webinar. It should be pretty cool to see. And that's at TalkinBirds.com. There would be uh, no G in Talkin'. A salute to more of our Talkin' Birds ambassadors helping us get the word out about our show and about birds and conservation. And thank you to Chris Dawson from Lakewood, Ohio. He says, my whole family has gotten into birding this past year. It started with my daughter doing remote schooling at home and watching all the birds at our feeders and wanting to learn more. 
And then my wife and I got interested, and since early spring, we've been out birding every single weekend. It's fun, it's fascinating, and it's a great activity to share as a family. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And thank you to Kitty J from Sanford, Florida. <laughs> she says, I can't get enough of talking birds. Thank you to all your dedicated team for an outstanding source of education and entertainment all about birds. Thank you so much, Kitty. And thank you to Scott Weiss from Wadsworth, Ohio. He says, I look forward to helping spread the talking birds word and the joy of birding. As always, I'll be listening and trying to figure out the mystery bird. Well, talking birds listeners, and thank you, Scott. We invite you to join Scott and Kitty and Chris and many others as a member of our Talking Birds Ambassadors family. And the way it works is you sign up, we send you some cards, and you hand them out to friends and associates at your convenience. And that is about it. As we say in Boston, it's wicked easy to do and just as easy to sign up for. Just go to our Talking Birds website, talkingbirds.com, and click on the Get Involved tab at the top of the homepage. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with the great Laura Erickson about how birds try to keep cool in the face of extreme heat. Plus, we'll catch up with the also great Mike O'Connor in an almost live Let's Ask Mike segment about keeping bees out of your hummingbird feeder. And up next, a bird that our Freya McGregor got some good looks at on her recent western trip is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Nearly all North American woodpeckers have some white plumage, but today's featured feathered friend is the only one that has an all-white head. Not surprisingly, the bird is known as the white-headed woodpecker. It's a medium-sized woodpecker with black body plumage and large white wing patches, seen both when the bird is in flight and when it's perched. The male sports a red patch on the top of its head. The white-headed woodpecker inhabits mountainous pine forests of the western U.S. and British Columbia, Canada, feeding on large pine seeds, mostly in sugar pine forests and old-growth ponderosa pine, and it's often found in recently burned areas. Instead of drilling into wood to find insect prey, white-headed woodpeckers tend instead to poke into needle clusters or pry up sections of bark. The white-headed woodpecker belongs to the genus Dryobates, which translates to tree walker. Dryobates albolarvatus. The white-headed woodpecker. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show number 847. Laura Erickson is a recipient of the American Birding Association's Roger Tory Peterson Award and the Minnesota uh, Ornithologists Union's Thomas Sadler Roberts Memorial Award. She's been a scientist, teacher, writer, wildlife rehabilitator, blogger, public speaker, photographer, science editor at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. She also hosts the radio show and podcast For the Birds, And she's written 12 books about birding, including in 2020, The Love Lives of Birds. We would go on, but the show (laughs) will be over soon if we do. Good morning, Laura. 
Good morning, Ray. It's wonderful to have you back on the show. And I want to ask you about that book, The Love Lives of Birds. But first, it's late August, and it's hot in many places around the country and has been for a while. So we wanted to talk to you today about how birds cope or try to during heat waves and droughts and uh, how we can help them, too. You just wrote an informative piece about this in Birdwatching magazine. And one thing you point out is that birds can generally cope with cold weather better than hot weather, which may be a surprise to some people, but tell us why that is generally. Well, birds can add to their feathers. We see their outer feathers. That's uh, called their contour plumage. But beneath that, they have a thick uh, uh, layer of down underwear, and they can (laughs) add to that as temperatures start going down in fall. So... Uh, they uh, When we look out in the winter and see how fat the birds look at our feeders, that's not fat. That is their down feathers lofted up beneath their outer feathers, making them look fat. So they're well adapted for that as long as they have enough food. Uh, they will die, you know, insectivores died during the big cold snap that we had this past winter down in Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas um, because they must have the food to generate the heat for their insulation to have heat to hold in. But hot weather, they can't dissipate that extra heat the way mammals can by sweating. Mm Uh, they have to pant, or what we call guler fluttering, where their whole throat uh, flutters and th- moisture on the surface of the inside of their mouth and upper throat will evaporate and help cool them down. But that does not work all that well, and so they can... Um, they have problems coping with too much heat. Hummingbirds just turn the thermostat down uh, in really hot afternoons and go through what we call torpor, where they just um, go into a sort of state of obliviousness uh, mm-hmm. that seems like sleep mm-hmm. while their body shuts down for a little while. Yeah, and, and the, the irony there is the birds panting, that causes dehydration, right? So then they need more water. But they're more efficient about that than mammals Mm -hmm. because that evaporation is happening within their mouth and throat, so some of it is recovered again. Mm -hmm. But you're right, that's why water is so vital for birds in hot conditions. You talk in the article, too, about uh, helping birds find nutrition, and a big part of that is about planting native trees and shrubs in your yards, right? Right. When we look at hummingbirds, we always think, you know, about our hummingbird feeders, but um, most of their diet, especially when they're regurgitating food, when the females are feeding their babies, comes from insects. And those insects, most of the ones that hummingbirds feed on are ones that are associated with the plants in their breeding ground. Mm -hmm. And so locally native plants provide that, um, that vital food. Uh, All kinds of birds need plants. Some of them eat plant food directly, but Mm -hmm. most of, uh, just about all our songbirds are very dependent on the insects that feed on those 
Mm-hmm. Plants. Let's switch over to your newest book, Laura. It's called The Love Lives of Birds. I wonder if you'd give us a quick thumbnail about what it's about and then maybe read the introduction. We actually picked out uh, something here with the trumpeter swans. It's called The Two of Us, that chapter. Uh, the whole book, it's 35 entries, and the publishers wanted something that would um, really touch on uh, human popular culture, what we think of as love, and how bird love lives fit into that. We like to think we're totally different from birds, and we call it anthropomorphism if we uh, say birds are anywhere near like humans in terms of emotion, intelligence, and all those other things. And the word love, uh, some people get very offended and call it anthropomorphism if we say birds feel love. But when they lose a mate, they have the same physiological uh, changes that humans that are grieving do. And they have the same hormonal impulses to nurture their babies. Uh, You know, we share a whole lot of our genetic makeup and biochemistry with them. So so the, the book is about popular culture and ways that birds, you know, I mean, we've been talking about the birds and the bees for how long? <laughs> Even though most people have never either witnessed a bird or a bee doing the things mm. that birds and bees are famous for doing. <laughs> We're really getting short of time, but maybe, uh, Laura, you could read maybe just that first paragraph from uh, the two of us about trumpeter swans. Sure. You want monogamy? Marry a swan, said a character in the movie Heartburn. Nora Ephron was no ornithologist, but that line from her screenplay was spot on. Even when trumpeter swans gather in sociable, migratory, and winter flocks, the mated birds among them stick with their partner day in and day out. Sometimes the pair synchronize their movements as if engaging in a very private minuet. (laughs) Beautiful trumpeter swans. The book is called The Love Lives of Birds. And Laura Erickson is the author. And I know you're coming out with another book soon about those native plants for birds, Laura. So I hope we'll have you back on to talk about that when it comes out. I look forward to that, Ray. All right. Thank you so much, Laura. Laura Erickson, you can find out more about her. And there's a lot to know. She knows a lot at lauraerickson.com. That's lauraerickson.com. Up next here, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, 
Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. There's the sound of our mystery bird. This is our mystery bird contest officially underway. Give us a call and tell us what that bird is at 781-837-4900. It's a small songbird of open woodlands, farms, and parks. It has an unstreaked breast, a rufous or rust-colored crown, a whitish line above the eye, and a black stripe kind of through the eye. Our bird, which forages on the ground for seeds and insects, breeds over most of the North American continent and winters in the southern U.S. and down into Mexico. Clues there of our mystery bird and the sound and beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees and the cute chickadee feeder and the bonus prize of $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books, home of one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Call us as soon as you can and give us your guess or your definitive answer. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner, so give it a try at 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, are bees getting into your hummingbird feeder? Mike O'Connor has some help. It's Let's Ask Mike, almost live from the archive in just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com B-U-T-E-O Beautyobooks.com Meg, I'm calling from Altadena, California. Talking birds really is a delightful 30 minutes of really valuable information. So why not share in that wealth <laughs> with other people? So yes, I encourage all Talking Birds listeners to get involved in the ambassador program. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family at talkingbirds.com. Join today and thanks. Mike O'Connor is down at the legendarily famous or possibly famously legendary Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod in the beautiful town of Orleans. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Ray. I hear some bir- uh, some bees uh, uh, buzzing. I know you don't know anything about bees. You only know about birds, Mike. But Yeah, I can't do both, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I get in trouble when I try to do both. But you've uh, made some observations about bees uh, in the hummingbird feeder, which for most people is not a desired thing. Thing, right? Well, this time of year, uh, bees become, bees population grows towards the end of the summer, mm-hmm. and especially if you have a hive nearby. Some years you kind of skate by because there's not many bees in your area because the hives are someplace else, but sometimes it becomes a problem, and I get a lot of people asking about that. And uh, over the years, we've tried different bee guards and different methods, and none of them are all that successful, but but I, I, I noticed in my own experience, and then I did a little kind of research online, mm-hmm. that the flat feeders, the saucer feeders, um, a little bit more bee-proof. The ones that give people the most problems are the ones that are probably the more popular. It's a glass bottle, and you know, it has a reservoir, and then, then the liquid the sugar water flows down into a tray below. And the problem here is it's gravity-fed. So when the hummingbirds drink the, the liquid, more liquid rushes down and comes to the to the end of the hole so they can drink some more. But the problem is the bees can also reach this liquid. It never gets out of range of the bees. And if you look online, there is 
thousands of pictures of bees on hummingbird feeders, and every one of these glass tankard dripping kind of feeders where the, the liquid flows down. And so, and it's got to be true because the internet would never lie. That's true. But what I, I use is the flat kind of feeder that you sponsor Drill Yankee makes, another company Aspects makes, and a lot of other companies do, mm-hmm. and it's a flat feeder and you just take the cover off, pour the liquid in basically a bowl and then put the cover on and the hummingbird sticks its beak in long tongue and laps the sugar water out and it's typically out of range of the bees mm-hmm. they, uh, they can't reach the sugar water and what I do is I just fill mine halfway the one time I had problems I kept filling it to the top because you know being lazy I didn't want to fill it that often and then I walked out with it and because I filled it to the top the bees could reach the liquid so now I just fill it about halfway it's probably about an inch below the hole bees can't reach it and the hummingbirds have no trouble with their super long beak and tongue the other thing that's important to do with when I fill it I, I don't I make sure I don't spill any. There's no sugar. I would just fill it and walk out, you know, and then hang it, and I'd be sloshing it around. Well, it's the spillage that the bees were getting along the edge of the feeder that I had spilled. So I make sure I don't spill any liquid. I keep it all in the feeder. And since I've done that, there's been zero bees. And again, if you look online, you don't see any of these flat feeders with bees on them. So you could definitely try that. be worth worth experimenting with, but it's worked really well for me. All right, that's for the bees. And just quickly about uh, ants. Most of the feeders have moats, I guess, right? With You put water in there and they can't get across the moat? Right. When you want to buy a feeder, a, a moat is just really a, a blank spot at the top of the feeder. It's a little hole, and a lot of people don't realize you put fresh water in there, and then that, that acts as a barrier. So when the ants come down, they can't get across this water barrier. You can buy those as an add-on, or a lot of the feeders have that. And about those feeders, fill it, but don't spill it. That's the <laughs> word we need. That's my new T-shirt. Talk to you next week, Mike. Okay. Mike wait. O'Connor at the famous Birdwatcher's General Store. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds' conservation and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. Welcome back to our mystery bird contest. Here's that bird again. 781-837-4900 is the number of small songbird of open woodlands, farms, and parks with an unstreaked breast, rufous or rust-colored crown, a whitish line above the eye, and a black stripe through the eye. And Gavin, somewhere in Virginia, thinks uh, he may know the uh, answer to what this mystery bird is. Good morning, Gavin. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you, Gavin? Where whereabouts in Virginia are you, if you'd like to tell us? Uh, Richmond, Mechanicsville. R- Richmond, Mechanicsville? Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, wonderful. Well, you, you uh, have a call here about our mystery bird. What do, you, what do you think that bird is, Gavin? A chipping sparrow. A chipping sparrow. You don't just think that. You sound like you kind of know that. Nice job. Chipping sparrow is... Absolutely uh, correct. Good job. Uh, are you kind of a serious birder, Gavin? Um. <laughs> what is a serious birder? Uh, uh, like you really are. You really are into uh, looking at birds. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Sounds sounds like it. All right. Well, Gavin, thank you so much. You are absolutely right. If you'll stay on the line, uh, Larry will make sure, make sure that we get uh, your information by which we can send that stuff to you. Sound good? Thanks. All right. Yep. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. Thank you, Gavin. Down there in uh, Richmond, Virginia, correctly identifying the chipping sparrow as our mystery bird. Before we go, I want to uh, issue an invitation. We kind of keep forgetting to do this, it seems, lately. Uh, An invitation to join the Talking Birds flock. It's a place where uh, listeners gather, about 300-plus Talking Birds listeners now in the flock there, just exchanging thoughts about birds and conservation and uh, exchanging pictures and uh, videos and the like. It's the Talking Birds flock, and you can uh, find that at TalkingBirds.com. That's TalkingBirds.com. That's where you'll also uh, find info on that flirting webinar in Australia that we mentioned a little while ago. So check it out there. All there at TalkingBirds.com. Next week, Jeff Hall from the Audubon Society of Rhode Island will give us a preview of their annual Raptor Weekend. Two weeks from today, we'll be live from that Raptor Weekend in Bristol, Rhode Island. And three weeks from today, we'll learn more about Lights Out Texas from Travis Audubon's Nicole Netherton there in Austin, Texas. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, our senior producer, Debbie Bleacher, our outreach coordinator, Freya McGregor, and today's producing engineer is Larry Nelson. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com By Vortex Optics With the VIP warranty Their unlimited lifetime promise To keep you and your optic covered Learn more at VortexOptics.com And Beautio Books An independent, family-owned bookstore Carrying one of the largest selections Of birding books in the world BeautioBooks.com